The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 113 for the week of April 15th. Alex, it's tax day. It is tax day. You know what that means? It means I'm a little less rich than I was before. That's right. Although for most of us, it probably means that, um, you know, several weeks ago or months ago or whatever it was when we actually did our taxes. That we, well, I, I did we, the taxes, but I figure I wait as long as possible wait, to, to give them my money. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, um, I'm pretty excited. I was surprised. I actually got a small refund this oh, year. Congratulations. I know. It was uh, not expected. Uh, the uh, I was actually reading one of those articles about people's perception of the, the, the tax cuts from the current presidential uh administration and uh you know people expected to have bigger tax cuts and mostly tax cuts are pretty much the same as they were last year yeah but that uh refunds excuse me they expected refunds to be the same but that the actual tax burden has gone down by about 25 percent for most people well pretty interesting that is interesting but because you had it kind of uh distributed throughout the year and your paychecks went up your right your refund actually did not go up right yes which um, I think overall, I would rather have more money throughout the year than have the government hold on to it and give it back to me later. Right, giving them a, a but, tax or a interest free loan, right? But it, you know, that's harder to see. So yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and move into our housekeeping? Uh, we do have a Slack channel. This is a, a great place for folks who want to chat with folks in the security community to get together. I think I saw we're at eight hundred and sixty ish people, something like that. So that's, it's that's a part of it. It's going to be a pretty big number. Uh, we also have a website. If you go to Colorado Security.com. On that website, there are a whole bunch of cool things, including an events page, uh, Colorado Security Company directory, and a mailing list. So if you want to sign up for our mailing list to get the show notes in the mail, uh, check out that website, sign up, and we will let you know when there are new episodes. So everything that we're saying in this show is in that mailing list, basically. Well, at least a summary of it is. It's also That website's also the place you can get the, the uh, link to join our Slack channel that I just mentioned. For sure. Uh, we'd love it if you would rate us and subscribe on your favorite podcast listener. If you are on an iPhone, go ahead and do, go to the Apple, uh, the iTunes store, the podcasts store, I guess it is, um, and, and rate us and subscribe there. If you're on another uh, device, well, figure it out on your own because I don't know how to do it. Yeah, I'm sure that there's some way to subscribe on those too, so you should do that. Um, if you really like what we're doing, we'd appreciate it if you tell a friend. Uh, someone else in security, someone else not in security. Uh, anyone who might be interested in Colorado Equal Security, tell them, uh, give them the website, tell them to check out the podcast. And finally, if you uh, are, are interested in helping us finance this whole thing, which we're you know doing out of our own pockets, we would love it if you would join our Patreon campaign. This is a way that you can help um, defray the costs of hosting and, and all, the, all the cool stuff we do here has a little bit of financial cost to it. This money does not go into Alex's and my own pockets. We do send it all right back out to the community through what we do on the podcast and other various stuff like that. Uh, you can get access to that also through the, the website there. So let's jump into the news. First, big announcement. Chevron has agreed to acquire Anadarko Petroleum for $33 billion. So this is actually a, a single tier for me, Alex. I, I don't know if you're aware of it, but I actually worked for a company, Western Gas Resources, which was acquired by Anadarko. It was one of my my first favorite jobs. Uh, I would say that's how I got into security was working wow. at Western Gas. So I was there right when I was there when Anadarko bought Western Gas, and I stick around for just a little bit of that. Um, and it's interesting to see what's it been uh, 
13, 14 years later yeah. that, that now they're going to be part of the behemoth Chevron. Yeah. And so Anadarko is based in Houston and Denver. So it's going to be a, a pretty big change for the oil and gas community here in town. Um, I was surprised. I, you know, I knew Anadarko as being just a massively big company, um, but I was surprised how much smaller than Chevron they are. So the, the article here shows that Chevron is, the, is number 13 on the Fortune 500 list with about $160 billion in revenue in 2018. Uh, 48,000 employees worldwide. Interestingly enough, they have about 8,000 employees in downtown Denver. This is Chevron has 8,000 employees in downtown Denver. Um, and you look at Anadarko, they're 257 on the list at 13 billion. So 160 billion to 13 billion. Um, and Anadarko has a total of 4,700 employees. So Chevron <laughs> has 8,000 in downtown Denver. Anadarko's total worldwide is 4,700. Yeah. So much bigger, much bigger presence in Denver even. I had no idea Chevron even had a presence here. I don't think I realized that either. Now, Anadarko had a large IT presence and a security presence here in town. So that, that, that could be a bit, a bit impact to our community. You know, another company that has a large presence in Denver is Southwest Airlines. This is interesting. Southwest, who's uh, headquartered in Dallas, has realized that having their shareholder meeting in Dallas sucks because no one wants to go there. So they're actually going to be meeting in Denver here uh, for their for their annual meeting in May. You know, um, I read the article. I didn't notice exactly where they said that having their meeting in Dallas sucks, but um, not that I'm doubting that. Well, this is, this is my commentary oh, on, oh. On, on, on the facts here. Obviously, they're doing it because Denver is a better place to have their shareholders meeting. Yeah, and uh, one of the notes that was in that article is that uh, Denver is the most active hub for Southwest, which also doesn't surprise me, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I might have guessed that it was Dallas since that's their headquarters, but pretty cool stuff. Uh, the third story this week, Denver, Denver, Denver is ranked at number two. Uh, on U.S. News and World Report's list of best places to live. That's pretty awesome. This is not just, uh, you know, not just in Colorado type cities, right? This is this is anywhere in the U.S. Um, at num Denver's number two and number three was Colorado Springs. Yes. Pretty, and that's pretty amazing. It, it is very amazing. Uh, we will not speak of who is number one. Uh, so they have a cat. They categorize these things and they rate us based on desirability, value, job market, quality of life and net migration. And Denver did best on the de desirability and job market out of those categories. Yes. And not surprisingly, they were the lowest on the value category. I think we all know that costs in Denver have gone up in the, the recent past. And so that the value on that scale is decreasing slightly. Yeah. Uh, next story here uh, was about a, a group. I don't even know if you call it like a, some kind of a organization called 10.10.10 about this entrepreneurial program that's it's really interesting uh, it sounds like it was put together a while back where the 10 was was to say um, we're going to have 10 uh entrepreneurs start 10 companies that are going to help us solve 10 really in interesting problems and it, it's this organization that comes together with tough problems and smart people to try and solve these problems yeah and they've been continuing to do this it sounds like they have a couple of these um each year they get a cohort of uh, of these serial entrepreneurs together um, they work on what I what they call I think wicked problems yep. the the really tough problems and uh, they get ten days to start a company around solving one of these problems. So this has been going on since 2015. Um, it was the birthplace of companies like Apostrophe Health and Burst IQ. I have heard of Burst IQ, um, and it this is the sixth cohort and it actually just presented the solutions this last week on Thursday night. They had the last solutions. I haven't seen what those were yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing what came out of that. Yeah, and it sounds like they do this a couple times a year. So I think, you know, in another six months or, months or so, we should expect to see another cohort solving 10 problems. 
Uh, next story here, Amazon acquired uh, the Boulder robotics startup Canvas Technologies to automate their work their warehouses. Yeah, so Amazon already has a, a pretty automated uh, warehouse system. In the article, they mentioned how Amazon has 100,000 robots already working in their warehouses um, as part of their automation efforts. But uh, this company in Boulder is going to help that um, be even more automated. So so Canvas uh, Technologies had a, had taken on about $19 million, uh, previous to this acquisition. Um, and when they last took on that money, they were valued at about $55 million. So you assume that this probably came at a premium from that. Yeah. Um, it's been over a year since their last round. So uh, hopefully, you know, they, they did really well in this exit and Amazon got some good technology. Next, Bank of America announces a major expansion into the Denver metro area. So Bank of America is actually going to be opening uh, 12 branches in Denver metro by 2021. Uh, which is interesting because some other banks are closing branches in Colorado. So when I when I first saw this, uh, I actually thought that it was going to be Bank of America coming in to like open up jobs in De- in town yeah. because I know we've you and I have both heard from Bank of America that they are looking to hire quite a few security jobs in town. It looks like they're maybe bringing in some kind of a security operations center or a center of excellence around security. Uh, this is particularly this article is about their their bank. They call them financial centers instead of being banking branches. Because yeah. it's more than just a branch. It is. Uh, but at financial centers that they're opening. Um, but it looks like there are also going to be a bunch of opportunities to work at Bank of America in security. So if this is something you're interested in, you know, maybe keep your eyes open for it. You know, I think a lot of times when you expand into a new market, you put, you know, a regional office there or something like that, too. And as part of having one of those offices, it, you know, it gives you the opportunity to uh, to hire folks, not just for that area, but for other parts of the you know central support system. Yeah. Well, one of the uh, hallmarks, one of the most well-known MSSPs in town is no longer an MSSP here in town, Alex. Well, I think that they'll still be here in town, but they're merging with another company. So, well, But they're not going to be. So GB Protect, which yes. has been uh, historically a Denver-based managed security services provider, has been acquired by uh, a company called Newspire, um, which I had never heard of, but is apparently an MSSP up in Michigan. Uh, yes, I believe the press release does say uh, merged with, but... That's what happens when a when you get acquired, right? Yes. Well, in the the headline, it says merger. In the first sentence of the article, it says acquired. So yeah. I, I know. Anyway, uh, hopefully this is a good thing for the folks there at GB Protect and hopefully for their customers as well. Uh, they're down in uh, actually pretty close to me here uh, in the Denver Tech Center area, um, Arapahoe and 25-ish. Uh, I know that they've, you know, over the years offered MSSP services for quite a few companies around town. Hopefully this is going to be a good thing for, for all those folks. Maybe they will get some synergy with Newspire and uh, become an even bigger MSSP. Uh, next, accolades continue to roll in for Ping Identities. I, ac- bleh, for Ping's Identity and Access Management Solutions. There should be another identity in there, right? Yeah, it probably should be. So there's a, a press release here with a few different awards that Ping won in the last couple of weeks. SC award uh, during RSA conference for the best identity management solution. This is the uh, the, the best award, the, the top level one, came into Ping. Uh, there was an InfoSec award. We were named the Identity and Access Management Editor's Choice winner by Cyber Defense Magazine for their 2019 InfoSec awards. Uh, Cybersecurity Excellence Award for Ping Intelligent Identity Platform. Uh, that was a silver cybersecurity excellence award for best identity and access management product. Boy, that's a mouthful. And CRN's Security 100 um, put them on the 20 coolest identity management and data protection vendor list for the second year in a row. 
love it. Good stuff. Hopefully that keeps happening. Yeah. And, you know, we, we saw some awards articles last week too. I think that, you know, people give out a lot of awards around RSA and then, you know, a couple of weeks, month later, then there's all these press releases that come out about how everyone all these won all these awards. Yeah. So. You don't, cause you get lost, maybe you get lost in the noise of RSA if yeah. you do it right away. Um, next we have an article from secure 64. They are the, the DNS security provider, uh, from the tech center slash Fort Collins. Um, this article is called why, why I'm long DNS. Uh, and really what it's about is how the changing technology is going to, uh, is going to cause DNS to become way more utilized and become, you know, really more of a bottleneck, I think, or, or something that you need to be investing more in you know, based on the changes. Yeah. So uh, they're talking a lot about 5g and, and the rise of the things that, that 5g will enable, including, um, much more data bandwidth and consumption, uh, greater voice over IP, um, proliferation of IOT devices, which we're already seeing, but I think will be even more with 5G. Um, and then advances in VR and interactive gaming. So their premise here is that all of this increase in traffic and bandwidth is going to make uh, DNS even more important. So uh, you should definitely use Secure64 DNS products to make sure your DNS is, uh, is secure and available. And believe it or not, they are not sponsoring the show in any way. <laughs> we, just, uh, we just love them that much. All right, uh, next blog here is from Mitch Tannenbaum. Mitch is one of the local security guys. He he writes a, a blog really a few times a week, and we take a look through it for anything that we think will be relevant to the group. This one's not Colorado-specific, but interesting stuff. He's talking about the FBI and and how you know they are tasked with um, monitoring you know cybersecurity attacks from other countries against the U.S., and really how what they're currently dealing with far exceeds their bandwidth and what they're actually able to handle. Yeah, I... It was uh, an interesting article, you know, talked through some of the numbers, and it's not surprising to me that there are many more crimes um, than there are FBI agents to be able to uh, to work those crimes. Um, so I think he, he said there's a 1,981 agents who are focused on cyber investigations. So it seems like a pretty good sized number, but as you break it down into the fact that they have, you know, 56 field offices, there's only, you know, a, f a few dozen people per place and it's just not nearly enough to keep up with the flow. Yeah. And it says, uh, each field office is, um, bound to investigate around 300,000 crimes that were reported. So that's a big number for the number of people that are, are investigating yeah. those. Yeah. So you're, if you think about 30, you call it 30 people handling, 300,000 crimes. You just don't get enough time to really investigate any one of them, right? Exactly. Uh, finally, we have a blog post from Coalfire. It's about the death metal suite. Uh, this is written by, uh, by Victor, is it, is it Tesler? Tesler? Uh, security consultant over there at Coalfire. Um, and it's a, it's a toolkit that he wrote. So he wrote the blog post and he wrote the toolkit. So pretty cool stuff. Uh, uh, a death metal suite is what is this tool that takes advantage of Intel's AMT, their their remote management tool for their um, for their chipsets, um, and he talks about you know basically how this tool set is enables you to better take advantage of all these features uh, that maybe the person who owns the system might not want you to be able to take advantage of. Yeah, and AMT is built into Intel chips, um, and it, you know it's used for administration even if you don't have an operating system on the machine itself. So. Uh, at the end of the article, I have some advice uh, for both blue and red teams. Um, basically, you know, if you're on the, the protecting, protection side, make sure that you configure this um, so that you guys have control over it. Um, set a password and maybe forget that password so that no one can get into it. Um, and then on the, the red team side, basically he's saying, 
um, this is something fun to play with that you should be able to exploit pretty easily. Uh, good stuff. That, that is it for the news this week. Moving over to our Slack message of the week. Big thanks to Andre Gata. Andre is still our sponsor for this. He hasn't uh, sent me a cease and desist note yet. Thank, thanks for doing that, Andre. Uh, every week we recognize someone who posted uh, a thought-provoking or conversation-starting uh, post in the Slack channel. And this week, who do we have, Alex? Uh, our winner this week is Kevin McDermott. So congratulations, Kevin. Uh, we picked Kevin just for his activity in the channel. There's a number of different conversations that uh, that Kevin has been deeply involved with recently, including uh, talks around uh, Hack the Box, uh, pen test certs, OSCP, uh, lots and lots of different things. Kevin's over at Arrow and, and does AppSec over there for them. Um, so congratulations, Kevin. Good stuff. We'll hook you up with Andre, and you'll get to pick one item of swag out of the Colorado Equal Security Store. Uh, next, we have our events for the week. So uh, as we look forward, you know, we'd like to start this conversation talking about uh, an event that's a couple months off, the, but it's the biggest one in town, right? The Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. Definitely. And this year, the first day of Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference on the Tuesday, uh, we are doing what we're calling Community Day. So traditionally on that first day, we have paid trainings that you can get in-depth knowledge around specific topics and we are still doing that this year so if you're interested in in some of the topics that we have there you can definitely still do that but we're also offering um, a couple of uh, free events that are more community focused trying to get people into uh, participation with rmisc so one of those is uh, devsecops days denver so devsecops days is an event that happens all around the country and and we're partnering with the the group that puts that together to do a free all-day track on DevSecOps. And then we're also uh, doing the Rocky Mountain Privacy Forum. So we're uh, doing a whole-day track on privacy, different privacy topics. Again, both of these are free. Um, so as you register for RMIC and you want to come on that first day, um, uh, check that out. And uh, looking forward to it. Uh, so just as a reminder, RMISC is happening June 4th through 6th this year. So that... That community day is, is Tuesday, June 4th, and then the, the tracks are, are going to be on the 5th and 6th. Uh, and, and it is the biggest conference here in town. I think last year we had, oh, do you remember what the number was last year? I just walked myself 1,300 and change. I don't remember Thir the exact 1,330 number. something, I think. Yeah. Uh, we expect to be well over 1,500 this year. This, you know, been great growth year over year. Uh, this is a, a great opportunity for you to not only have, uh, well, you get over 16 hours of CPEs if you come to, to, to the two days of, of tracks and if you come to the community day, you get even more. But it's also a great way to network with folks in the community and lots of good sponsors. It's, it's a great opportunity to get involved. Definitely. So let's jump into those events. Uh, first on the calendar, SecureSet is doing their Denver Blue Team Workshop Fundamentals of Network Defense uh, on April 15th. On the 16th, Denver Splunk Meetup is happening. Also on the 16th, CSA Colorado is doing their April chapter meeting. And finally, same day on the 16th, the Denver IAM meetup is happening at the Wincoop Brewery. No, no, not finally, Rob. Also on the 16th and the 17th, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their April chapter meeting. That, that's the uh, the 16th in the evening for dinner and then the, the 17th for lunch. Uh, also on the 17th, ASIS is having their April meeting. Also on the 17th, DENSEC is doing their April hang <coughs> hangout at Rhinehouse. It's amazing how many events. April's like, like there's just a ton of things happening uh, all over at the top of each other. It's spring. All the security events are blooming. You are, I like it. Uh, you guys are you know, 
have so many choices for what you want to go to. ASIS is the physical security one. Um, there's this IAM group. All these things are interesting, and, and hopefully you guys can make it to some of the stuff. Um, on the 18th, CTA is doing their insight series on AI-enabled analytics, business intelligence, and analytics in an era of artificial intelligence. Also on the 18th, ISACA Denver is doing their April <coughs> annual general meeting. Uh, SecureSet is doing a cybersecurity meet and greet at SecureSet on the 18th. On the 19th, PMI is doing their PMI Mile High 21st Annual Symposium. Uh, the Cloud Security Asso Association, CSA. Alliance. Uh, Alliance. The Cloud Security Alliance, Denver, is doing their CCSK training on the 19th and 20th. On the 23rd, ISSA Denver uh, Women in Security Group is doing their uh, quarterly meeting. Also on the 23rd, the GDPR meetup is doing their Words of Wisdom from a DPO group meetup. On the 24th. ISC Squared, Pike's Peak Chapter, is doing their April chapter meeting. On the 26th, SecureSet is doing a Hacking 101, an intro to AppSec. And finally, also on the 26th, ITS Partners and Symantec are doing a private screening of Avengers Endgame. So if you want to go see Avengers Endgame for the low price of having someone try to sell you something, check it out. Yeah, it looks like it also comes with a free lunch. So you, you show up at 1130, you get to eat lunch, get a little bit of a sales pitch and go watch Endgame and and you'll you'll be one of the first to have seen the movie. And at this point, if you haven't bought your tickets for the opening weekend, you're probably not going to see it. So this is a good opportunity. There you go. Uh, let's go ahead and jump over to jobs that we are hiring a couple of folks at Ping Identity. Number one, I'm looking to hire a junior product security engineer. This is someone with a development background, but you know, an interest in security, not necessarily a strong uh, security background, but someone who wants to help us work on embedding security into the SDLC for our products. And then we're also hiring a team lead for that same team, a product security uh, team lead, someone who does have some experience with application security, a development background, and wants to help lead several different folks uh, and one, one half of our product security organization. Vail Resorts is looking for a senior analyst in information security, governance, risk, and compliance. CenturyLink is hiring a director of security operations, or the director of security operations center on digital transformation. Yeah, um, Mike Benjamin had posted about this, and I don't remember the details, but it sounded like an exciting opportunity. Uh, Splunk is looking for a principal intelligence analyst. This is a remote position. Chronicle, which is uh, the company that's owned by Alphabet, formerly Google, right? Um, so Chronicle, they come out with Backstory recently. They also are the ones who do Virus uh, Total. Virus Total. I think they have one more product. Do also. they really? Uh, so they are hiring a technical security analyst here in Colorado. Yeah, pretty cool. Vitac is looking for an information security analyst. Western's Western Governors University is hiring a course instructor focused on IT cybersecurity. Nice. Visa is looking for a senior cybersecurity engineer. And finally, Prologis is hiring a cybersecurity intern. Nice. Well, that is it for our news this week, Alex. Uh, this week, I sat down with Misha Danisau. D Misha is the CISO over at IntelliSecure. We talk about his background and, and what his next for him and uh, next for IntelliSecure as well. Pretty cool. I look forward to it. All right. We'll talk to you guys uh, again next week. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Mike Kalax, CISO at Western Union. This is Colorado Equal Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals.
All right, this is Rob Reck, and I have a special uh, feature guest this week, Misha Danisal. Excuse me, Misha. Uh, Misha, you are the CISO for IntelliSecure, and, and I'm looking forward to hearing about you know your career and how you got there. But before we do that, I want to understand uh, your hobby, where it sounds like you, you spend a lot of time assaulting children. Is that is that appropriate? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I, not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> I think that it uh, it can be fun if you you know if you do it in the right way and it's a sanction assaulting of children too so you know I'm not gonna uh, go to jail for this but um, yeah so my son uh, we signed him up for Taekwondo um, yeah. about two years ago and he was really reluctant at first uh, I think he you know we took him to a class and he found it a little bit scary was it um, eight, about uh, five six years old at that time yeah he was about yeah so he was about five years old at the time. Yeah. And so I asked him, I said, well, if I do this with you, would that be something that you'd be interested in? And so he really, uh, that, that really helped. Um, that sort of got him over his fear of doing it. And uh, so we go to a, uh, uh, to a Taekwondo dojong. Um, it's called Parks Taekwondo mm. uh, down here in Centennial. And uh, we go about two to three times a week. And it's like that episode of Seinfeld, I think, you know, where, where Kramer takes karate and he's, you know, the, the, the oldest guy. You know, we're all at the same skill level, Jerry. I keep um, and um, so I, I am probably the oldest person in, in the Taekwondo uh, class on a regular basis by a good 30 years. Mm. Um, and uh, but still, I, I really enjoy it. Actually, it kind of makes me feel a little bit younger and a little more youthful. Uh, but we we do sparring. Uh, so we actually put on sparring gear. Um, and uh, and once the sparring gear is on, I'm actually allowed to kick and punch children. Um, I'm not with full force, but still, you know, it's a I don't know anybody else who gets to do that. And, you know, get and, <laughs> without and too gr- much trouble coming from it. Right. right exactly. So um, it uh, and it's a great it's a great experience. Um, uh, really. Um, it's not about learning to fight so much. It's really about learning to develop yourself both physically and mentally uh, as a person. And I think that anybody who goes through the program all the way through to black belt, and we've probably got about maybe a year and a half to go before we get there. Um, I think it's, it's an incredible accomplishment, and especially for a kid. It's one of these things that's going to build up confidence uh, and, uh, and really help also develop self-discipline. Those are two great things that are going to serve you well in life. Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, you and I were talking before we hit record and I have a son who's who's about, uh, about eight months now from getting his black belt. He, he should get it, you know, assuming all goes well. And and I have a lot of the same observations around the you know, the value of self-discipline and body control and and like really having to to focus and, and work on something for for a long time to get good at it. Those are those are immensely positive things that we get from Taekwondo. We do not get the ability to kick butt from Taekwondo. <laughs> That's not really on the offing for, for that training, but, but it is a super valuable thing and it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, no, it is. And I think that's great. And, and as long as you understand what it is that you're getting out of it and, and also making sure that you're the participant understands what they're getting out of it. You know, a good Taekwondo instructor will let them know that, that it's not about learning to kick butt. It's about all these other things, you know, through that medium. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, I'm glad you're doing that. Are you hoping personally to go get a black belt in the next couple of years? Yeah, absolutely. So part of the deal, as I, I said with the instructor, as we signed up, is that you know our goal is to go through. Actually, our goal is to get to a second degree black belt. So it's mm. about a six year commitment, um, and both my son and I have made that commitment. And it's a um, my thing 
for me is I, I want to go along with my son the whole way. So it's something that we can do together. And so I said to the instructor, you know, I, I don't advance if my son doesn't advance. So we all have to go at the same pace, you know, yeah. we do it that way. That's great. All right. Well, let's talk about your background. Where are you from? So I grew up in the Washington DC area, um, in, um, uh, Chevy Chase, Maryland, Chevy Chase, Bethesda sure. area. Yeah. Um, and, um, I, um, you know, my dad was uh, originally came to the D.C. area because he was uh, worked in politics. He worked for um, Senator Birch Bayh, um, who actually just passed away uh, the other day. So who's that senator from? Senator where, Birch. I mean. Senator Birch Bayh is from Indiana. Okay. Uh, so Senator Birch Bayh uh, preceded Dan Quayle in the mm. Senate, um, and then um, his son Evan Bayh uh, then came after Dan Quayle at, at the same position. So. Yeah. So you grew up in uh, in Maryland. Uh, how long did you stay there? Did you go to high school there? Or? Yep. So I went okay. to uh, elementary school, high school there. Yeah. Um, after high school, I went to uh, Ithaca College in uh, Ithaca, New York. Awesome. Um, for, you know, like a lot of people in the uh, security industry, I, uh, I pursued and got an English degree. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. So did you, when did you get interested in computers? Was it during school or was it, you know, after college or what? It was really after college. Okay. Um, so I actually came out here uh, to Colorado because when I was living in DC, I realized that it really wasn't the place for me. Um, I didn't want to be involved in politics. That wasn't something I had mm-hmm. a lot of interest in. I didn't want to be an attorney. Um, the, uh, the tech industry was probably just getting developed there through AOL, but it really wasn't something I was involved in. I, and I was attracted to Colorado because of the outdoors activities here. Mm-hmm. So I decided I'm going to pack all my stuff up and I'm going to move to Colorado where I knew a couple of people and I'm going to see what happens. So I do notice as I'm looking at your, your background that, you know, your major was English, but your minor was in German and That's you right. have a, you have a, a educational uh, stop on here that looks like you were in, in Germany itself. Is that, is that what it was? Yeah. So I did a junior year abroad in Freiburg, yeah. Germany, yeah. um, studying, uh, studying German, um, and, um, having a string of the weirdest jobs I've ever had, um, while I was doing that. Cause I needed a way to make money while I was over there and I wasn't really qualified to do anything. So I got a job, uh, working the 3am to 9am shift in a bakery from which I got fired. Um, <laughs> for sleeping or eating or what? For just being really bad at the job. <laughs> so trying really hard, but you just didn't make good pastries. Yeah, I was just I was like a horrible pretzel maker. Um, I just I just didn't have the skill. I was all slow. Your, all your pretzels were straight. Right. It was it was awful. Um, so I got fired from that job, and then I got a job working in a pet store, which I didn't get fired from, but I should have been fired from that job because I was also really bad at that. Um, I had no the idea. The only way you can be really bad in a pet store is if animals are dying. Well, or- so yes, that's exactly my point. <laughs> oh, no. So I didn't realize that like you just can't put any fish together in the same bag. Oh, so people true. will come and be like, I want this and I want that, and I'd say, okay, great. I'll give them what they want, and they go home, and they'd have one fish in the bag. <laughs> so- that's that's something that they should have gone through during your training though well maybe they did but it was in german so i yeah. really wasn't that good at it um and maybe maybe just didn't understand so, so a string of odd jobs in germany that's awesome yeah uh and then i i, I the one that i was finally good at, i was actually did a uh, i was a, a like a stock boy in a in a, um, a supermarket yeah um and so that one you know not too hard and i finally and actually by that time i had learned to speak enough german that i kind of knew what i was doing oh, good well, that sounds fantastic. So, but why, why German? Why did you pursue that language like, like this? Uh, yeah, so excellent question. Um, you know, it was just something that was offered in high school. Yeah. And I, back then, the only real offerings that 
I knew anybody who ever took was French or Spanish. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, that's something different. Um, so I decided that I was trying my hand at German, yeah. um, which is a really difficult language. And unfortunately, um, is also a language you don't get to use a whole lot. Right. Um, so when I was looking to go abroad uh, in college just for the experience, it just made sense to me that I would go to Germany where it would be a place where I could actually learn, you know, use the language and actually really learn to speak it. Yeah. Um, and to me, that was a, a phenomenal experience because it's as an adult, as a, you know, I guess at that point I was, I was 21 years old going through and putting yourself in a position where you feel like a child again, mm. because you can barely speak the language, you know, and getting through it. it. It's one of those experiences. It's sort of like the Taekwondo thing where you feel like, you're learning something that you absolutely cannot do and you take the time, you stay with it. And you know, after a while, when you get to, you know, within a year, I was actually able to have fluent conversations mm. with people in German, which to me was, was absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. And so when you feel, when you go through something like that, you feel like yeah, there's nothing that I can't do. Yeah. That's awesome. So you graduated, you headed out to Colorado because it's amazing in Colorado. Um, what, what do you do when you got here? Do you have a job lined up? Yeah, so it's um, I, I didn't have a job lined up at all. Um, I got out here and uh, I started doing temp work. Uh, I worked as a um, uh, I worked as a, um, a temp in the legal department for uh, Colorado National Bank, uh, which got bought by U.S. Bank. Um, and then while I was there, I was uh, correcting you know documents um, or doing editing to to legal documents, and uh, and then I was applying for jobs. And uh, one of the jobs that uh, I applied for. Uh, was in the tech industry. It was a company called Call US. Um, so it was, a, it was a technology startup, and it was uh, going to be uh, the next Teletech, as it were. Um, it didn't become the next Teletech. Uh, and um, but what was interesting about it is that uh, the people who were starting this company are actually the same people who were the founders of IntelliSecure. Mm. Um, you know, long after I had stopped working with them, so it was sort of strange to actually come in and get hired into IntelliSecure, which is a company that was built by the people who originally hired me in Colorado uh, and actually built up this successful company. Oh, that's pretty awesome. So, so how long did you do that job? So I was at that job um, until the company went out of business for about uh, a full year. Um, okay. And then after that, I went and um, it, it was interesting. I was a, um, I actually was in a sales role at that job. Um, mm. And one of the things that I found incredibly frustrating was the uh, ability to go out there and be able to make a sale. And then uh, for the people who were supposedly able to, you know, supposed to implement the things that I had sold to have such difficulty doing it. Um, I think that's actually can be pretty common, especially in a smaller yeah. company. Um, but I thought to myself, well, how hard can this be? Right. Um, and so before I left the company, I started pursuing a knowledge, you know, uh, my knowledge and, and, and some certifications within the IT world. So I went and I got my MCSC oh, wow. or I started pursuing my MCSC. And, you went and did yeah, that and like, without that. having any hands-on experience. You just went after the certification. Yeah. That's a tough one to, to just do from not, from scratch. So I started from scratch and I, you know, and it was, it, it, what a weird time um, to actually learn. So like, I remember it was just so difficult. Like I, at the time I was so poor that I didn't have like getting, having your own computer was like a luxury. Right. So I would, you know, find these, you know, computers where I go and I'd save up to, you know, and I would build these, you know, computers from scratch uh, and, you know, using these, like, you know, putting a server on a 486 machine. One of the things that I did have at the time was I was one of the first people um, on the, um, uh, it was actually at the time it was the AT&T um, uh, uh, cable. Mm -hmm. network 
Um, and so it was one of the very, it was like broadband was just becoming a thing. And so AT&T cable was out and you could actually get that in your home. And I remember I would take my DHCP server and I'd just throw it up on there and the security was so poor that I was handing out IP addresses to people all to over the, the all, like, yeah. yeah, like all over Colorado. I mean, I could just go and I could, you know, browse around and I could get onto people's networks. The firewalls were not in place anywhere. You yeah. just go anywhere and see anything. And it was just sort of amazing to me how like I had the, pure acts to go on and really just take down that network. Wow. Um, you know, purely by accident. Yeah. So you, you did some self education and, and what did you, you know, what was your intention with that? You know, you, did you have a, a goal or was it just, Hey, I want to get these skills and see what comes next. Uh, I wanted to get those skills and I wanted to get into, um, uh, into it, you know, as a, as a technician, as an yeah. engineer. So I actually got my first, um, full-on IT job uh, working for Centura Health. Yeah. Um, so I was a, a desktop analyst in Centura Health. Uh, and that was when I actually, during that time is when I finished my MCSE. Um, and it was a, uh, you know, it was a, a great experience. However, it was also, yeah, because it's such a large company, you're very pigeonholed in what you do. Right. So you can like, you can be the desktop analyst, or if you want to go, you could work on the server team, you know, or, you know, maybe you could work, you know, in the networking team. And everything was very siloed uh, and very specific. You kind of did your own thing. Um, and then what I ended up doing is I wanted to get a little bit broader experience. So I applied for a job with a company called Illumin. Illumin was a Microsoft VAR. Uh, hmm. So I was like, okay, this is what I'm learning these Microsoft skills. I'm going to go work is for that Microsoft that here in VAR. Colorado as well? That was here in Colorado as well. And, uh, and I actually ended up working for them for 12 years. Hmm. Um, and the beauty for me was on, you know, within the first week I realized I'm like, I don't just get to learn and get my hands and get all this experience doing Microsoft networking, I get exposure to everything. So um, I learned uh, most of the my security skills uh, from, you know, I learned there, um, building, uh, managing wide area networks, managing firewalls. Um, you know, we were working with a lot of technologies that didn't even exist at the time. Um, we worked with one of the very first DLP implementations um, uh, with a company called Vericept. Um, we worked with, um, uh, we worked with uh, VPN networks, you know, before they were sort of integrated within the firewalls. So you used to have like a VPN concentrator and you, you know, and, and it was a great way at the time, a lot of people were, they were setting up wide area networks and spending boatloads of money on uh, circuits to build these wide area networks. Uh, we were able to reduce their costs significantly by building VPNs um, and just utilizing the internet for it and their primary internet connection. So it was a, uh, it was a great experience and I worked with them for, um, for a long time and doing various roles in there. So I started out doing security engineering um, and, and support, and then I ended up becoming the, um, uh, the marketing director um, and helping the company it's a pretty big change grow right yeah. and I was, at the time I was also getting uh, so I got a uh, an MBA with an emphasis on marketing which is why I wanted mm. to you know pursue that route um, but I always found myself in a role or looking for what does the company need me to do and so uh, I ended up taking on the job of the chief operating officer because the the company had gone through so many changes it really needed somebody to uh, provide that role at the company and I realized that even though marketing was what I thought I wanted to pursue I was much better at the operation side mm. and I was better at the technology side than I was at the marketing side um, and so it was just something where I think I came to the realization that I was either going to stay with this company for the rest of my life or you know something was going to have to change after 12 years. Yeah. And it was at that time where um, I had the opportunity uh, to apply for a job at Smashburger. Smashburger was building their first, um, you know, they were building as a, as a company and they were hiring their first 
security professional. So actually, the, I think the job was director of information technology and security. So it was kind of a, a dual role, IT yeah. and security. Um, and it was, they didn't, they didn't really have, they had one person, I think, at the time on staff as a full-time IT person. Hmm. Um, How big was Smashburger at that point? We're Smash talking Burger, about 2012 here, Yeah, right? so at that time, Smashburger had, uh, it was probably less than half the size it is now, so it maybe had um, 75 corporate restaurants um, and about the same number of franchise, so about 150 total restaurants, and now they're close to... Uh, close to 400. So how um, many employees do you have in a corporate office for a... In the corporate office, we had about 80 employees. Okay. Um, and then we also... And then we had a lot of people who worked remote. Um, yeah. So, I and mean, it wasn't wasn't huge. I think yeah. total total number of employees uh, with computers was probably around 120. Okay. Um, at its largest. And, um, and so I did that, you know, for a while. And then as things grew, um, I got to build out staff there and I built out a team there. Um, I brought them through their first um, uh, PCI compliance, uh, which was a great, uh, great opportunity for me uh, to re- to learn. Great opportunity for Smashburger um, to be able to continue using credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's important. And having to use cash at a restaurant these days not yeah. not so good. And um, but you know, as things developed, I ended up in the uh, heading up the the IT department in general, um, and. Um, and then an opportunity came along over at uh, at IntelliSecure, and I realized that the piece of uh, of my role at Smashburger that I really liked was the security piece. Uh, and so when the CISO position came up at um, at IntelliSecure, I thought to myself, you know, I could continue working here at Smashburger and enjoy it, um, but it was never my dream to become like the the head of the IT at a restaurant company. Mm-hmm. That's not where I kind of saw my path going. And this gave me the opportunity to get exposure uh, to and, and work with uh, different areas of uh, security that um, that I didn't otherwise, wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to work with. And I've really, really enjoyed that. Um, uh, there's a lot more compliance work that I do. Um, the I came, got hired on just as GDPR was coming. So I've, I've learned a lot about privacy and uh, privacy is a big aspect of me, but I also still, uh, the entire IT department also reports to me. So um, I was thinking of changing my title from uh, chief information security officer to chief information and security officer mm. <laughs> because it really describes sort of what my title right. is. Uh, very interesting. So you, you've had you've had some interesting roles, uh, you know, from going at marketing, IT, security, COO, a lot of different stuff. Do you feel like you know, now that you're working at a company that focuses on security, that you're able to, to leverage those different skill sets you've developed, you know, your MBA focused on marketing, the, oper- the COO role you were in, do you, that's been something that's impacted how you do work at IntelliSecure? It's impacted not just how I do work at IntelliSecure, but how I do work in general. I, I think when you get into a CISO position, you're getting into a leadership position, right? A leadership position um, in any business is really more of a business position than it is a technology position. Even though a lot of us have come to kind of come up through the ranks of technology, um, the things that allow people to be successful in those positions are really understanding accounting, understanding marketing, understanding how the business works, understanding relationships, understanding the, the legal aspects of the business, all the things that you're not going to learn when you go and get your computer science degree. You're not going to learn when you go and get your certifications. There are a lot of things that you uh, really have to uh, 
learn from a very um, the, the experience of working in the business world, but also having a broader uh, broader exposure to a variety of different things. And I think anybody who's had the opportunity to step outside of their technological role and perform other duties within an organization such as marketing such as accounting such as legal is going to be far better off in a position uh, like as a CISO uh, than somebody who's strictly come up through the ranks of technology yeah can you think of specifics you know in your day-to-day job where you know that kind of background and that breadth of experience allows you to do your job differently and I know it's that's a tough question but I'd love to hear, you know, the kind of ways that that applies, so other folks can think about it in their own jobs. Um, I think one of the ways, it, and I think that privacy is probably a good a good way of understanding it, um, because when you go through and you do a privacy assessment, so let's say you're doing like a, a data privacy impact assessment, uh, really you have to think about it from a variety of different ways. Because ultimately what you're trying to do is you're trying to understand um, what privacy data we're keeping and, and how we're using the privacy data. But to really understand that, you need to understand it from a vendor perspective, you need to understand it from a technology perspective, and you need to understand it from a process perspective. And to truly understand the process, you need to understand the business itself. Um, so in other words, you're not just thinking about the process in terms of inputs and outputs. You're thinking about... Um, let's say uh, you're talking about um, I'm doing a data privacy impact assessment on uh, background checks. Um, So I have to understand, well, why do we do background checks? What is the information that we have on background checks? I need to understand and spend a lot of time with the HR department, understanding what the HR department does, why they do it, um, what the reasons are. I have to understand the regulations that HR um, um, uh, has to adhere to. Mm -hmm. I have to understand um, also what is the What's the financial impact of doing these things? How does this drive the business forward? I think one of the biggest challenges that we have in security in general is that we know what the threats are and we know what it takes to mitigate the threats. But what we oftentimes struggle is helping the business understand um, how our ability to identify threats and mitigate the threats actually um, translates to a positive impact to the bottom line. Hmm. Because, and, and that's where a lot of, um, I feel like security professionals really struggle is they feel like they're speaking a different language than the businesses and the reality is they are. Hmm. You really need to understand what drives the business and, and why the business is uh, uh, making the decisions that it's making because the decisions that the businesses are, are making are all about what do they want to build. Uh, oftentimes they're financially driven and um, if they're uh, or it's going to be an investment that they're making for some greater purpose. But you really have to understand what is the thing that motivates the business, why it's doing it, and then how does your piece play into that. That's hard for a lot of people to really make that uh, make that connection without having a, a broader background or, or a significant amount of experience. Yeah, I think privacy is an especially interesting one there because you know if you come at it from a security guy's perspective you know, or even just a binary perspective of, hey, you can or cannot do that, um, it, it makes a big difference for the success of the business, right? And understanding and marketing that, you know, a if I'm not allowed to, re- you know, to require people to opt in when I give them this content, maybe I'm changing my entire business model, right? Maybe the pipeline for my company goes, you know, goes from, uh, you know, 100 million down to 20 million because, you know, 80% of my pipe was generated by this, this type of activity. Um, and, and how does that impact things, right? And, right. and I think, with your experience in marketing, you can see both sides of that and you can have a, a much more nuanced conversation. 
Yeah, one of the things I think is is the scariest for us as security professionals is this uh, concept of that you hear coming out of Silicon Valley a lot, which is uh, move fast and break things. Mm. Um, we all want to help our companies be able to move fast so that they can take advantage of the market uh, and take advantage of opportunities. But we're also terrified that the faster we move, if we move so fast that we don't take the time to do all the things that we're supposed to do, we're going to put ourselves in a very vulnerable position. And so figuring out how to do that and, and helping the company understand what the risks are and what they're going to do and helping them make those decisions um, is, is critical. Uh, a long time ago, I used to be the guy who would say, no, you, know, you can't do this because this, that, and the other thing. I, I'm not the no guy anymore. Now I'm, hey, this is what this decision is going to uh, result in right here's so the i'm risk. the here's the risk i'm the risk guy and the impact guy and i explain that and i say let's you know make sure that we're doing this according to the process so there's a big part of the governance and risk piece that goes into what i do as a security professional mm -hmm. um, that i think is key to helping security benefit the business so as you you know you came in there uh i think you came in about six months before gdpr went into effect mm -hmm. into into to telesecure um Assuming that you had, you know, some significant work to do, what did it what did it look like for you to apply, um, to to apply you know, privacy by design and and really those those consumer rights to your organization? How did you go about doing that stuff? Well, the problem is that when you're applying something like um, privacy to existing um, yeah. processes, you can't apply privacy by design, right? Mm -hmm. It's already been designed, right? And all of a sudden, you're 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 reapplying privacy to it. So you have to first of all backtrack that way and you have to go through and say well how does privacy fit into all of this and how do we apply that on and then you go well how do i have to change things to then incorporate privacy by design um, i think that's that that was one of the big challenges and a lot of it has to do with um, how we go about implementing our processes so um, everything that we do at it it's uh sorry at intel secure is risk-based right so everything goes through a risk management process and now we're designing the privacy piece into the risk management process so that's a part of it so anytime somebody goes hey i want to bring on this new vendor or hey i want to um create this new process or um hey i want to you know use this new technology um there's nothing that can get purchased at smashburger without first getting approval from the security department and the security department then makes sure that everything goes through the proper uh, risk assessment, make sure that it goes through the proper privacy assessment. And so it allows all that, you know, all that to happen. Sometimes we get, we bring the privacy or the security a little bit later than we want to. Um, and in those cases, what ends up happening is we may have to say no to something. Um, but when we get, usually what happens, and because um, as an executive at the company, I generally have a seat at the table before things get decided you know, and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this initiative, this, that, and the other thing. I have the ability to then inject privacy um, at the feasibility stage uh, so that we can actually talk about the privacy piece before we actually get so far down the road that we're applying it later than mm -hmm. we should. I think it'd be useful to take a little bit of a segue to, for you to describe what IntelliSecure does. You know, I think a lot of folks listening will know, but probably not everybody. So what, what are the, what's the breadth of the, the things that you guys do over there? Uh, I think the best way to describe Intel Secure is that um, we're a, a managed services company that focuses on uh, protecting sensitive information. So in the CIA triad, we are heavily C-focused. Um, uh, it's about confidentiality. And so we have a, um, a suite of services that are designed to uh, help companies identify the information that they want to protect you know what they deem to be sensitive information be it 
uh, trade secrets, be it just confidential information, be it uh, uh, privacy information, personal information, and then help them develop a program that actually makes sure that uh, that information doesn't get uh, unintentionally or um, and sometimes intentionally in the hands of the wrong people. Yeah. So um, to that end, uh, the suite of services are focused around things like uh, data loss prevention technologies, probably what we're best known for. Um, there will be um, CASB solutions uh, that go along with that. Uh, we do penetration testing to help identify uh, and help people understand their programs. Um, we do um, uh, SIM implementations as part of that. And, and I wouldn't say that we're like a SIM company, like that's not our, 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 our SIM focus is usually a, a, an addition to, um, to a lot of things around data loss prevention. Uh, CASB, we're um, starting to look at like uh, behavioral analytics, uh, mm. insider threat, we do have insider threat program uh, that we do because, but it's all directed around the idea of protecting sensitive information. And I think that's one of the things that makes Intel Secure unique is that um, while we are a managed security services firm, we're very focused on one specific area and being the experts at managing sensitive information. Um, it's, uh, we don't do managed firewalls, we don't do security awareness training. You know, there, there's a lot of things that uh, people look to and think about us when they go, oh, they're a managed security service provider, right. you do this, that, and the other thing. Uh, and we're very quick to let people know what it is that we don't do uh, because we're a smaller company uh, and we don't want to be a jack of all trades. We want to be very, very good at the one thing that we do. Yeah. Uh, and that's around the data protection. About how big are you guys as a company? So we have about 150 employees. Okay. Um, and um, we have uh, offices in, uh, our main office is here in uh, Denver in Greenwood Village. Uh, we have a, another office in the UK. Um, all the services are offered in both offices. Um, we do a lot more pen testing out of the UK uh, than we do here in the United States. Um, yeah. and, um, but we do the same DLP managed services, the same SIM managed services uh, in both locations. Okay. So, you know, obviously as a CISO at a company that offers exclusively security services, you know, you're going to have, uh, you're going to have a different role than, you know, than you did at a, at a restaurant, right? Absolutely. Uh, so how much do you get to be involved in the development of new services, you know, as the guy re responsible for internal security, you know, what, what part of that is, is product focused or services um, focused? So, um, I would say it's um, surprisingly more than I thought it would be, uh, which is nice. Um, so anytime that we're developing uh, a new offering, um, we realize that in order to, for as a security company, you know, we we have a responsibility. I mean, everybody has a responsibility, but it, it's even more of a responsibility as a security company to make sure that um, you have um, all of your security concerns uh addressed, uh, especially if you're going to be working with companies who are who are evaluating um, our products and saying, okay, well, uh, help me understand, you know, if I'm you know, going to store data with you, uh, if I'm going to allow you to uh, view some confidential information, and, and the reality is that we have, you know, based on the services that we provide, we have access to potentially some pretty confidential information. So people need to very much feel assured that uh, we're doing what we need to be doing in order to protect um, uh, that information. And, and it's a privilege to be able to have access to that information. And people need to feel confident that we don't abuse that privilege mm -hmm. and that we are um, doing all the things that we're supposed to do in order to protect it. So to that end, we don't create a new offering without bringing the security team in. Um, and, um, and we're in um, 
scrum meetings, you know, on a regular basis uh, that will come in, especially if we're putting together a new product offering uh, where we're evaluating things, uh, going through uh, assessments. Um, we do a lot of uh, assessments on our own, on our own, and we we adhere to certain um, uh, to certain. Um, compliance requirements um, that require that we do these things. So we're adhering to PCI compliance. We're adhering to, uh, we're ISO 27001 certified. Um, we have to adhere to uh, to HIPAA and high trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to adhere to GDPR. So we have all these things that we need to be able to go through and anything that we come out with, our clients are going to then come back to us and say, show us how you're complying with this, show us how right. you're protecting this, show us how you're doing that. So unless security is involved from the beginning on those initiatives, there's no way we'd be able to provide that to our clients. Right, that's great. You know, as you look at you know, 2019, you know, the, the rest of this year, what are your biggest priorities uh, within the internal security program for IntelliSecure? Um, biggest priorities uh, this year, we spent we had a lot of change last year um we had um, a lot of employees uh changing over uh, mm-hmm. and so a lot of the initiatives that we're doing um we we spent a lot of time going through and uh, updating programs that we've had before so uh, because i came in you know just slightly over a year ago i came into a program that was actually fairly well developed um but it's aged uh, and so there are a lot of things that need to be adjusted uh with how we uh how we manage the security program itself, uh, identifying the things that are no longer relevant for us, um, the things that are, are outdated based on uh, the, um, the way that we're doing business today. Um, and so we spent a lot of time going through and just updating uh, processes, policies, mm. uh, and things like that to um, not so much policies, but more like um, processes uh, to match how we're actually doing business today. So we spend a, a good amount of time doing that. I'd say that uh, privacy and GDPR is um, a an ever evolving thing for us. Um, I think ident- spending uh, as, as much time as we possibly can and making GDPR easier for us. So one of the things that we implemented recently um, that I'm spending a lot of time on is um, we just signed with, um, uh, with OneTrust um, mm. to help us uh, put some structure around our privacy program. And so getting in and making sure that I'm getting all of my assessments in there, making sure that, um, that we are using that to track all of our, uh, all of our consent records um, and in order to also track all of our um, information about on vendors um, and uh, getting all of the, all of our due diligence um, within that. It's a, it's a labor intensive thing because it's a lot of copying, pasting and putting things in, but when it's all said and done, it'll be nice because it will be very well organized for us. That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard it. Maybe just summarize what, what exactly does OneTrust do and you know, what are you planning to use them for? I know I'm familiar with them, but lots of folks listening might not be. Yeah. So OneTrust is actually, it's, it's, a, it's a nice solution. It's, it's an online um, solution uh, that is uh, it's software as a service, basically, that allows you to manage your privacy program and it actually allows you to manage more than that. So it's a great way of, um, you know, we, we got it for primarily for GDPR compliance. Um, in order to make sure that we were uh, adhering to all of the elements of GDPR and that we had it all um, 
organized and stored in a way that was very easily accessible for us. But it also makes the process so much easier. For for instance, vendor management, you you know, you can use it to send out your questionnaires to vendors, and then vendors basically, you know, log in, they fill it out. They're also have Is it just privacy for vendors or is it all? No, it's privacy and security. And you can put any any questionnaires that you want to. So if you have your own personal questionnaires that you do that's unique, you you don't have to use their can questionnaires. Um, So you can do all kinds of assessments, you know, and you can put them in there and really uh, manage your vendors. uh, Because I think that's one of the hardest parts about GDPR is making sure that you have all your ducks in a row with all the vendors that you're that you're using and not just your security vendors. And we're talking about anybody that you store anybody's name. We're not just talking PI. The definition of personal information per GDPR is so much broader than how we define PII here. And so it it just makes you uh, responsible for doing so much more, especially when you're managing vendors. And and it's a great tool to help us do that. Uh, As as you hire folks within your team at IntelliSecure, what are the skills you're looking for? And and you can go from, you know, entry level. I, I don't know what kind of roles you hire, but at the entry level or more experienced, what is it you're looking for? Well, I, I wish that I could say that I get to hire a lot of people on my team all the time, but um, things being what they are, you know, we have a pretty small team. Um, and so it really depends on the role that, that, that we have. Uh, we have far more, uh, there's far more IT people on my team than there are security people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are people who play a dual role. Most of the time when I'm hiring somebody, I'm looking f- less for um less for experience uh, I'm looking a lot more for aptitude and attitude mm. um, and a desire to do what you want to do I think that the work that we have to do is uh, pretty significant there's a lot of work that we're doing with a small team um, and I but I think the work is important and I think you can only be successful doing that kind of work if you really enjoy and want to do what you're doing in other words you kind of look at this and go this isn't just a job that I come to like this is part of my purpose and in, in what I do and this is kind of my purpose and, and I'm, I'm making the world a better place because I'm making the world more secure if you don't see things that way, I think that it's very easy to look at these jobs. That, I mean, cybersecurity sounds exciting, but we all know that it's not nearly as exciting as it sounds. There's a right. lot of you know tedious work that goes along with it, um, what sometimes seems like busy work, um, compliance work, that sort of thing. Uh, change management alone just seems like it's you know a lot of work to go through just to mm-hmm. make a firewall change. Um, but there's a reason behind it. And so I am always looking for people who've got that, um, that passion who've also got the desire to work. And then the, I say the one skill set that I think is most fundamental to being successful in this industry is resilience. Hmm. It's the ability to uh, recognize when things are changing and to be able to change along with them and not be so rigidly stuck into the way you think things have to be done. Because if you can't change like that in an industry that is constantly changing, uh, you'll never be able to keep up and you'll find yourself in a... In a situation where a job that you used to love is now a job that you don't like because they don't do things the way you wanted to do them. Yeah. Um, I, I guess my last question for you, and then I'll, I'll let you share anything else you want to. My last question for you is how do you see uh, your job or IntelliSecure or even just the industry, if you want to, changing over the next couple of years? Where, where are trends taking us uh, for the big picture? Um, and, and you know, so the rest of us can start to get prepared for that. It's a really good question. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'm, uh, I'm I'm really the best visionary <laughs> when it comes to this kind of thing. Um, that's why I spend time listening to the podcast uh, so I can find out from very smart people who you know who have their pulse on these sort of things. Um, but um, you know, I think that um, you know the biggest change 
that I've seen so far, and I think it'll continue to go that way, at least in the security side of things, is that security becomes um, less of a technical uh, enterprise. It becomes much more of a, um, uh, of a business exercise, um, really focused around uh, risk more than anything, helping people understand and manage risk, being that go-between you know, from the executives to the technological teams to really help them understand how the technology impacts their business. The reality is that technology is here to stay. Um, you know, there's our, and, and it's um, changing in, in such rapid manners. The fact that we now have, you know, apps are things. In fact, we're putting so much in the cloud. Um, it's no longer a question of, you know, do we put things in the cloud? Uh, the question is, okay, we, we have stuff in the cloud. How are we going to manage that? What's the risk that we're going to take? Right. What are we willing to take? How are we going to deal with that? And and uh, I, I think as the um, as we continue to to move beyond those uh, old days where companies would have you know large IT departments um, to support uh, the infrastructure for something that really had nothing to do with what they did, um, it doesn't make sense, right? So we're outsourcing way mm. more. We're relying on vendors way more. Um, and you can't just go, oh, that's not our problem anymore. It's still our problem. We're still responsible for all the risk. We're still responsible for understanding and putting in the controls that we need. That's where I think from the, from the security perspective, um, our jobs are going to be um, much more challenging because we need to be able to provide that information, help the business do the things that they want to do in a way that's going to meet their risk tolerance. That's kind of been our, I felt like that's my job from the beginning and, and it just continues to be that job even more so going forward. Awesome. Well, that's it my, for my questions for you. Anything else you wanted to share with the community? Um, I don't know if there's anything in particular I want to share with the community. Uh, well, the only thing that I can say is, I, if, if anything, I'd like to thank the community. I think that um, uh, the community here in Denver is is amazing. Uh, there's so many great resources. There are so many brilliant, smart people in here who have um had experience seeing the things that uh, most uh, none of us you know can have seen everything right? right and so it's just the fact that we get to get together the fact that we have something like color equal security to bring uh, groups like us together the RMISC that we get to know each other and learn from each other um, it really allows us to be better professionals uh, it allows um, our companies to be more secure and to be managed in a better uh, fashion so I'm really thankful that I get to work in this community so uh, less of a comment for the community more than a thank you awesome well that's great I, and we appreciate you know your con contribution and uh, I look forward to getting to talk to you more in the future great thank Nisha, you thanks Rob. a lot for your time uh, and for everyone else this is it for Colorado Equal Security we'll see you guys next week Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.